church really that important to God? What does he think about it? Do you think it's important to him? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, I'm always, I'm always humbled by what the Holy Spirit does. And, uh, and I'll explain it to you in a moment after we pray. But uh, we'll start off with a, with a silent prayer for everyone to be able to pray in their own way, to uh, prepare your heart and your mind for the Word of God. And then I'll close this out and we'll get into the lesson for today. So if you would, let's pray. Father, thank you for this local body of Christ that meets here at New Life. Thank you for the love that you have spread down upon us. Thank you for the word that you've given us. And Father, as we are assembled here together today to talk about just that, why we come together and why it's important to you, pray, Father, that you will open our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our ears to this fact and that it will embed deep within us, give us the desire to worship you each week in spirit and in truth. And Father, may we be challenged by this and may we also be challenged to share this with everyone who is not here today. And we thank you for what you're about to reveal to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I begin to say I'm usually just flattened by how the Holy Spirit works in your life. I sit down Sunday, Monday, I studied Colossians chapter 1. thought, yeah, I read it a few times, this is what I want to give a lesson on. There's so much in that first chapter and in that book about the Christian life. What God has done for us, the blessings that we've received, and all of these things. And I wanted to share that with you. And I, I read the stories. I, I went into the original language. And looked up the things. And the word meanings. Checked a couple outside sources. I prayed. For guidance. On what this local body. Here of believers. Needed for today out of that. And as I started to write the introduction. I was stung by the fact. Of. I need to explain why we're here to be able to learn about all of these blessings. And so I started to write the introduction. And by the time the introduction was over, I had 13 pages. There was no room for Colossians 1. And so I'm thinking, my ways were not God ways. Because he just filled my mind and heart with one lead after another of what to do. And then I get in here today and we talk about in the songs, the reasons why we were here, and in that last one about we are the body. That's exactly what this message is about today, the body of Christ and who we are and why God wants us to assemble together. And it just floored me in a powerful way that the Holy Spirit was working between everything that was going on today to bring this about because this is what He wants us to learn and to know to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what that means for us 
here at New Life Christian Church in Perrigan today through His Word. And to be honest, I didn't intend for it to be this way. But this is what we got. So, another thing about today's lesson is, is normally we stick pretty much to a section of Scripture. We'll read it, and then we will dissect it and learn about that. Today, we're going to be a little bit all over the place. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw in Joseph that, uh, when we was talking, that we went to Isaiah, and it says that we learn the Word of God line by line, and then he repeats it, line by line. And then he says we learn precept by precept, and precept upon precept. Most of the time, we've been doing line by line. Today, we're going to do precepts. We're going to do precepts about the church and the body of Christ. And to do that, we're going to roam a little bit. So I hope you got your Bible fingers ready to be able to turn those pages or if you have it on an electronic device to be able to look those up and follow along with us today because we're going to roam around a little bit of why we ought to get together each Sunday and worship God in this thing that we call the church. Did you know that the word for church... In the, when it was written was ecclesia. And the ecclesia is made up of two words. Ek means to call out from into something else, towards something. And those the church actually means to be called out from the world, out from darkness, into the light of Christ as a new gathering. It started out in Greece when they had a democracy. Everybody had a voice, and whenever something needed to be talked about, the entire community came and gathered together in a certain place to do just that. And that became the word for what they used as what the church is. It is a group of people who are called out of life to come together into a new life. And that's what the church is. It was so important that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he's been talking and teaching and then he turns around, some of them were walking away, and he, he looks at his disciples and he says, who do men say that I am? And they started giving the replies of what they had heard people talk about. They said, some says that you're John the Baptist. Now that one always floored me because Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan. They, they were together all that time. Why did they think that he was John the Baptist? That one floored me. But then they said, some say that you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. But then he made it personal. He said, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? I, you've heard everyone else. You've been with me. Who do you think that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, With that answer, he said, I know that flesh and blood then has not revealed that to you because they had the wrong answer. But my Father which is in heaven has revealed this unto you. And Simon Barjona Upon this rock, I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My church, there's the first word. I am going to build a place for the called out, the ones who want to leave 
the life of darkness and come into light and to be in a relationship with me. I am going to build my church. Again, we should be confident as we come together as the body of Christ that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. This is the church. Believers are called many things in the scripture. For instance, Christians. The scriptures teaches us in Acts 11 and verse 26, it says that we were first called Christians in Antioch. And that word Christianos means the ones that follow Christ. So the church then is followers and believers in Jesus Christ. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Now, whenever I come across that, I was like, wow, say that ten times real fast. That's a tongue twister. But it says in there that there are at least 175 different names or things, titles, referring to the body of Christ in the New Testament. Did you realize that? 175 different things about us. We are the called out. We are Christians. We are chosen people. We are elect. God has elected through Christ us to have a relationship with Him. We are a peculiar people. We're to be different. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. All of these words and these terms and these designations go to apply to who and what we are. They describe what we are in the eyes of God. He has imparted blessings to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He has made to us His nation, His holy priesthood. So the church, the followers of Christ, the Christians, gather together for several reasons on Sunday morning. We first of all come to learn about the Trinity. We learn about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We learn from that by His Word, His inspired Word that He has left with us. Jesus Christ was called in John 1, the Word. And it says, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the Word of God is the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, this is what we hold in our hands is the mind of Christ. It's the holy and divine Word given to us. We come together to learn about this and to apply the principles and the promises that are there to our life as we go. One of the things we do when we come together, it says, is to praise Him in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and we play to Him from our hearts so that we worship Him in that way and we teach each other as well through this. That's one of the reasons we come together. We petition God with our prayers. Look at the prayers that went up this week for folks. That's what the body does you come together in prayer and in praise reports. We fellowship with each other when we get here. We build relationships that builds accountability and trust with each other. We take communion when we come together. We have fellowship with Christ and with God whenever we come together on a Sunday morning. We give back of our means so that this body of Christ can continue on in its work in a community to call out others out of darkness into the light of Christ. 
Now, there's another part of what gathering together as the church is in our next slide of Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. It tells us this about the church. Upon the first day of the week, it says, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and he continued his speech unto them until midnight. You know what? This verse is just so powerful because it gives me the scriptural example to keep you here till midnight tonight. (laughs) We're going to stay, and you can't say nothing about it, but you know what? I'm not going to do that because I know that we've got bus drivers, we've got kids, we've got everybody that's going to have to function and go to work tomorrow. So I'm not going to keep you till midnight like Paul did. Besides that, one of the little boys fell out of the window and he went down and revived him, and I can't do that either. So I don't want that responsibility. So I won't keep you here till midnight. But it says that we're to come together to do this. It says that we have a designated day. Look at that. Upon what day of the week do we come together? First day of the week. So we have a designated time. Why? Because there should be a time and a place. And if we all got together to try to decide when that should be, we'd never come up with a good answer. So God did it for us. On the first day of the week, that's the day the Lord resurrected. It's the day that the church was established, so it's a good day to come together. Every one of you, we come together and we break bread. We have that communion with Him. Fellowship. For what he's done for us. That communion represents the life that was given for us. On Sunday we come together to partake of the unleavened bread. The fruit of the vine. In such a way that we fellowship. And we worship and praise. And then. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2. I hope you see a pattern here starting. Upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prepared prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come again what's the pattern of when we come together first day of the week but what's the second part how many of us are supposed to be together every one of you that one kind of caught me as I went through here on the first day of the week we all have a responsibility to be here and I wondered why why does it say let every one of you be here What was the purpose behind that? Because we encourage each other when we're together. And let's encourage those that aren't here. Let's, that song, if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands? Why aren't his feet going? Let's start being the body towards the other parts of our body. If if we were missing a leg, we would sure know it. And we would want that back. The parts of the body that aren't here, let's start going out and encouraging them to be back in here with us. And just say, hey, we missed you. We so want you to be here with us. But in a minute, we're going to get a glimpse of why it's not only important for you and I, but why it's important to God as well. So I don't think, as I went through here thinking about all that God has done for us, that it's too much to ask that he has asked of us to come one day for an hour and a half to worship and praise Him and fellowship Him for what He's done for us. And so, he says, let every one of you gather together, worship, break bread, 
lay by in store of, as you've been prospered so that the work of the church, the body of Christ in this community goes on smoothly and doesn't stop. And then, if you would, and if you've brought your Bibles, here's where we're going to begin to get some exercise. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 with me, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. For those of you who uh, do not have one, I've got it up here for you, but I want you to get in the habit of bringing it and turning it to these places and getting familiar with it. Hebrews chapter 10. Here is a passage that I have known pretty much my entire Christian life, but it just stood out to me as I was being led and putting this together this week. Like I said, I didn't plan this. It just kept going one after another. So here it says, beginning in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, if you're there, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but you're to be exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. But there's a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Whew, this next verse. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing, and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Did you ever realize all that? I didn't. I kind of did the Passover on this for years. But it really stood out to me this week. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as some people do. Why? We were saved by grace through faith, and that, that's your, that's your faith, and that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not of any works, lest we would boast. It was a free gift by God of His Son for us. And so he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Assemble and worship together as a body of Christ that's been called out of darkness into light. Don't forsake that. I have learned the truth about it. We just saw two passages that say we do it and let every one of you on the first day of the week. What happens if I choose not to do that? Next verse, 26. For if we sin willfully. Wow, that was a choice I made, wasn't it? If I sin willfully, disregard the assembly and the worship of God, it says right here. The willful choice that I am making. He goes down into verse 29. He said it's like stomping on my son it's walking all over him it's doing despite to my spirit of grace it's counting the blood of his covenant as something that is an unholy thing that's not worth anything ouch it kicked in the teeth the grace of God that floored me this week because I'd never really looked at it like that have you have you ever Looked at it. Have you ever been taught that way? To know how God felt about it. That this is how he looks at it when I willfully decide it's not worth getting up for today. 
means a lot to God, doesn't it? You know why it means a lot to God for us to be here? Why it's like stepping all over His Son and counting that blood as an unholy thing? Well, it's because the church is a purchased thing. It was bought. And it's not bought from what we give each week. This building is a shell. It's not the church. Who's the church, Johnny? We are the church. That's the rally cry that we teach inside the prison. The church is not this building. We are the church. And we were bought with a price. We were bought with the blood of His Son. Acts 20 and 28 says this, Take heed to yourselves and to all of the flock which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. We, the church, was purchased with His blood. It's my responsibility each week to try to feed everybody. It's not something I take lightly. Listen again when you see that this is a blood-bought institution by His Son that He gave up for us. Now listen to me read Hebrews 10, 29 again and see the mind of God on why this is so because of His Son. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy to those who trod underfoot the Son of God that counted the blood of your covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and you do despite unto the Spirit of grace. Do you see it now why it's important to him? Why it means a lot to him? That's the covenant he made with us. And when we come together each week, we are praising him and thanking him for that covenant that he gave. And if we readily deny it, these are the things that God feels about of it when it does. We don't please self. It's not... We recognize God and Christ for what happened to us. Therefore, the thought continues in Hebrews 10, if you're still there with me, if you turn there and you're still there. In verse 38, then, this thought continues going down. The just shall live by faith, but if any man be drawn back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We are not of them who draw back, though, into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. When we forsake, when we fail to assemble, we quickly get out of the habit, don't we? All it takes is a few times and then we're out of the habit. And what does it say? We don't want to be of those who are drawn back. We've been called out. We don't want to be drawn back into the darkness, back into the world. So it is important, it says here, that as we assemble together, not only do we praise God for what He did with His Son and gave us His covenant, but it also goes to the saving of our souls to keep us aligned, to keep us in unity, to keep us to realizing what He's done for us. And we hear the Word taught, and it goes to the saving of our souls because there is the ones of perdition. That word, apaleia, means to destroy. There is the destroyer who wants to destroy our relationship with God. And the first way he can do it is to take you away from the body. To take you away from the part of... When a finger gets cut off, what happens to the finger? It dies because the blood system, the supply, the oxygen, the nutrients is no longer going to it. When we draw back and cut ourselves away from the body, 
we begin to deteriorate. We get drawn back and the destroyer is getting done what he wants to do with us. And he will use many methods to do that. This word in 2 Thessalonians is used, the perdition is used of the Antichrist. He is the destroyer. And the anti just means against. And so those that are against Christ, there are many Antichrists around today that are against Christ and the teaching. And there is going to be one specific one that's going to come in the future who is going to deceive with many signs and wonders to draw everyone away. So it's the son of perdition is what he is called in Second Thessalonians. This destruction is what Satan wants to do. So therefore we exhort each other in love to be here and not be drawn away from the body of Christ into destruction. We live by faith not to be drawn back to the saving of our souls. That is why we meet together. That is our responsibility. We, we come and we are instructed in the word to the saving of our souls. And that brings us to preaching of the word. Why we come here. It says that Paul taught them till midnight. We assemble. And this is where it became very personal to me. Because this, this is my charge and my responsibility. And it's, and it's a huge one. And I share it with you here. That the saving of the soul first. Coming together. And everybody hearing the same thing develops unity. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says that the body of Christ is to endeavor to keep unity in that body, that it be all together in the bond of peace. How do you keep everybody in unity and on the same page? Well, Ephesians 4 then goes on to explain in verses 11 through 16 where it says, He Himself, the Spirit of God, has given some gifts out to us. We studied those before in Corinthians and it says... That some are apostles, some are prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, there's your work. To equip the saints for the work of their ministry and the ministry of Christ in this community. For the edifying of the body of Christ, the lifting it up. That we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God. That we all are developed into a perfect man. The measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. And then when we are all on the same page, we've all been taught the same and we are all in unity, it says, then then we are no longer children, but we have matured. We are no longer tossed to and fro by every kind of wind of doctrine, by tricks of men and in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting that they do. But we speak the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into Him, Christ, who is the head from whom our whole body and joints flow and get the nourishment from Him according to the effective working that every part, that's why it says every person be here, because every person plays a part in the body of Christ and has a ministry to do And when we do our share, it says it causes growth of the body. It edifies itself in love. Wow. Unity was so important that the night that Jesus was betrayed and turned over, 
he sat there with those disciples, he prayed for unity. And he prayed a long, hard prayer that they may all be one, Father, when I'm gone, as you and I are one. That we are all one in purpose, in mind, in what we do. Let the body be in unity when I am gone. And it's given to us in these scriptures over and over again to be united, not to be disjointed, not to be broken apart, that we all might be one. And Ephesians 4 here explains that that's the role from teaching does to everyone so that we're all on the same page, that we all are called from darkness into light. We come to unity and the body grows. And then Timothy, he was one of the protégés of Paul. He was one of the young ones that he was training up to be a pastor teacher and to leave in different places. He's left him in Ephesus. He left him in Corinth. He shipped him everywhere. And what did he tell him? In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, he told him there and he charged that church that he sent him to. He said, because of this I have sent to you Timotheus, who is my beloved son. He's faithful in the Lord. And I want him to bring to you the remembrance of my ways, which are the ways of Christ. And these things I teach everywhere in every church. Why? Because he wanted them to be united. You can go from one body to another body to on vacation to another body and we should all be united. We should all be teaching the same thing because we got one book, an inspired word of God, that we teach these things from. And so we should all be united. We shouldn't be fighting. If Satan can keep us fighting each other in one place and churches in general with each other, then he's winning the battle. He doesn't have to focus on anything. The Word of God wants us to be united at home and with those who are also serving God in spirit and in truth. Not those. There are those that don't teach truth, but you know what we do to them? We love on them. And we teach them the truth. It says we try to continue to edify them. You rebuke them so that they learn the truth, but you do it in love and you do it in a gentle way that we can all come to the fullness of the body of Christ. And he says, I've left Timothy here for that, and everything that I teach to him is what we teach everywhere in every place. Now, if you've got your scriptures with you, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's taken Timothy, now he's been in Corinth, now he's going to leave him in Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, Paul had to leave. There were some problems going on there too. So he leaves him there to teach truth, to correct error. And if you're in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he gives an explanation of, of why he left him there. He said, I left you at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia that thou mightest charge some there that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and genealogies, which only ministers to questions about things, but does not godly edify in truth and in the faith. And this is what I want you to do there, to get them united, get them edified in the truth and the word of God. So the teacher's charge is not to teach any other doctrine than the word of God, And the charge for that word here is paragelo. 
and it means a command. It's a military term, and it means a command that has followed the proper channels. That means it came from the big guy at the top, the general of the army, which Jesus Christ is our general of the army. He's the Adonai Sabaoth, and he has given charge to Paul, who gives charge to Timothy, who gives charge to everyone, that this is what we do. It went through all the proper channels, and it's come down. And that's what the charge is for any of those who teach. And that's that you're on the same page, so that we teach in unity and in truth. It is so important that when Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 1, and he began to teach unto them, he repeats it twice, verse 8 and 9. And he says this, But though we... That's himself and those that has been given the charge, like Timothy and Titus. Though we, or even an angel from heaven, would preach unto you any other gospel than that which has been given and preached, let him be accursed. And then in verse 9, he says it again. As we said before, I'm going to tell you again. If any man preach any other gospel than that which we have received, let him be accursed anathema. It means against God. I hope you're still in Timothy. If you are, turn over to chapter 4. This is how important this is that we meet together, that we all learn the same thing from the word of truth, that we all worship and praise God for what he's done for us. In, in chapter 4, in chapter 1, he told him, now I'm leaving you here and I'm charging you to do this. In chapter 4, he explains to us why it's necessary to be here and to learn these things. And I want you to see it for yourself. We come to worship. We don't want to have anything false. So it says in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith... That's a definite article there. There's one faith, as it says in Ephesians. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you realize that? That there are seducing spirits, there are doctrines of devils, and what that is is those who, like Paul said in Galatians, preach any other gospel than that which has been given. Satan is the destroyer, the son of perdition. And his job is to sneak things in, to divert and cut off herds, to cut off sections of people by doing things like that. Get me against you. Get you against so-and-so. And he cuts and divides until he can tear down. He says, there's going to be happening. His job is to appear, it says in Corinthians, as an angel of light and preach something else and to teach it to you. I don't want anything to do with seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Timothy was charged in chapter 1 to teach these things. The inspired word of God. Chapter 4, preach only the truth. The Holy Spirit that gave it says that there's not going to be, but you don't be one of those. You don't give yourself over to the doctrine of demons and seducing spirits. Preach the truth for the faith so that you don't depart from it. Then, continuing on in that passage, go down to verse 6 if you're there. Thou, Timothy, so here is his charge 
to the one who was teaching. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And you are nourishing up by your words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So a good minister of Jesus Christ, then it says, is going to bring these things to remembrance every once in a while, to let the folks know why this is so important. Now, continue on. Keep focused on the truth, Paul goes on. Refuse error so that, look at verses 11 through 16. These things command and teach. Let no man despise you because of your youth. Be an example to the believers in word, in your conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give yourself to a few things. Attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that's in you, which was given to thee by prophecy and by laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly unto them so that your profiting can appear to all who are out there. And if you take heed to yourself and to this doctrine that is the word of God, you continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and those that hear thee. That's why we do what we do. We come together as children of light, so that we meditate, we read these things. Now you know why he said, give special attention to reading, to exhortation. Now you know why each week I come in and I say, open your Bibles, and we read it first line by line. He says, give attention to the public reading of the Word of God. And then you go over it. And you exhort it, and you teach from it, and you build up so that the body of Christ is nourished and grows and knows the truth and doesn't get cut off into darkness. That's why we teach doctrine the way that we do. And then, this same message of Paul's was taught everywhere. We've seen a couple of instances of Timothy. Let's go to Titus. So if you've got your scriptures with you go to Titus chapter 1 and again there Paul is writing the same charge and he begins in chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 and he says I'm Paul a servant of God an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness why because it's in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before the world began has in these last times, he in due time has manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. That's why we do what we do. That's why we teach the truth and we read the truth because it's a command given that this is how you disseminate the word which builds you up for what? The hope of our calling, the hope of eternal life. It leads us to the way of Christ into eternal life and it was given to us to do it through preaching which is committed to those who God has gifted and ordained to do that. Then, the duty is explained here as we continue on in verse 5 of this same chapter. 
For this cause I left you in Crete, to set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. He left Timothy in Ephesus. He left him in Corinth. Here he's taking Titus and leaving him in Crete. What's he doing? The same thing that he's done everywhere. There's things that are wanting. And what's that? Knowledge of the Word of God. We studied a few weeks ago from Hosea that my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. We don't want to be those who perish, but those who are nourished. And so he said, I left you there to set things in order, to teach the truth, and then to appoint elders, to appoint leaderships in every city as I told you to do. That is what the body does, and that is a function and a form. So the leadership is then to learn and to have knowledge and authority. Why? To keep it in order. Somebody has to be in charge to do that. Go down to verse 9. Between 5 and 9, he's given some qualifications of those men who are to serve as a leader. And then in verse 9, he gives a charge to them as well. Hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So there, the leadership is taught. Everyone is taught. We're all on the same page. And then it's their charge to make sure that that continues to happen. And their charge is over me as well. To keep me in line. That I only teach the word. Their charge is to keep out wolves. To make sure that the flock is fed. And their charge is to make sure that I also do the truth. And nothing else. And it says that they are then to hold fast to that faith, to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And that word gainsayer is another one that has that word anti in it or against. It's anti-lego. And the word lego means speech or teaching. So there are those that are going to oppose teaching at times. But he says your job is to hold fast to what is true and to stand on that. And what do you do? You exhort You love, you convince by your actions, like he told Timothy, by your charity, by your works, by the way you handle yourself, and by truth, you exhort those who would want to be against it so that they all come to the knowledge of the truth. Look at verse 10. There are those who are unruly, vain talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision, and that's the outside. That's the people who have not been baptized into the Christ. You're going to find out there in the world that those people will always be coming up against what you're trying to do. He says there's going to be many of them, but what does it do? To them, you silence them. Verse 11, their mouths have to be stopped. They are trying to subvert, to convince, and to overthrow entire households, teaching things that they should not. So what do you do? You rebuke. Sharply, verse 12, since they have not been able to receive the word that you have and that they're not on the same page as you are. So you, you tell them and you continue to teach them until they what? Become sound in the faith. In other words, you're leading them to Christ and you're leading them to the truth which is in the word. So then he says in verse 15, don't let them be defiled. Don't let them defile you with these words, but keep your minds and your conscience undefiled. And then in verse 16, it says, oh, they're going to profess 
that they know God, but in their works, it says they deny him being abominable and disobedient and reprobate. And that word means counterfeit. They're going to try to counterfeit something. And that's what Satan as the angel of light does. He counterfeits. He makes it look close, but leads away to destroy. So then Titus is charged in chapter 2 and verse 1. Speak you, though, the things that become sound doctrine. That's what we as the body do. We go out and we teach others what is sound doctrine. What is the thing that leads them to the saving of their souls, to bring them from darkness into light. And then, when we do, we're finding refuge, we're finding shelter. The things that we've been talking about the last few weeks in Psalm 91. If you think about it, in the last three weeks, we're just cracking open this unseen realm. You know what we've saw in the last two, three weeks? We've saw, like today, the destroyer. We've saw seducing spirits. We've saw doctrines of devils. The last couple of weeks, we've saw the fowler, the predator that's after us. We've saw all kinds of things that are enemies. But God has promised that when he draws us in, that he provides refuge and he provides shelter and he provides a way against all of these that are at odds against us and we're able to walk worthy of our calling. As the worship team comes on back up, this thing we call the church, this is why it's important for us to be together and to meet. We've been called out of that kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And if you're here today and you're not a child of God, I hope that you want to be one, to become a part of the body of Christ, to be part of something that is alive and is going to have that hope of eternal life as we just saw. If that is the case, come up and let it be known and we will explain to you what it means to be saved by grace through faith and then to be washed in the blood of the Lamb and and put in the Lamb's book of life and have your name written there with Him. And then, those who are already in Christ. You may not have realized the reality of what God has desired, that we walk with Him, that we come and we commune, we fellowship, we pray, we sing, we worship Him for His Son and what He's done for us. We learn the Word of God. We don't want to fall back, be of those who depart back into something and drawn back into the world. We don't want to trot underfoot the Son of God. We don't want to count His covenant, which He has made with us, as something unholy. We don't want to despise the Spirit of grace. But not only that... If I've done that, then I can make amends with that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Confess your faults. Confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But let's take that word a little bit further to everyone. Like we said, let's be that body of Christ that is now reaching out and being arms and hands and going to those in this community that over the past years were here and are not now. Let's bring them back because I bet they don't realize all of this. I bet they don't realize what's happening to them that we have just learned today. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 and 15 as we close this out. We were in chapter Titus 2 there. It says here's the reason why we are all here together today. We look for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing 
of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Make it a point to share this with everyone. Exhort them. Teach them and let them know this. It means something to God for us to be here as the body of Christ. Let's be his peculiar people full of good works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church that your son purchased with his blood that he built to withstand the gates of hell. We thank you, Father, that through faith we can be added into that body of Christ. We can be washed, we can be forgiven, and that the gates of hell will not stand against it. But we need to walk with you and not trod your son underfoot. May we be exhorted today, Father, to be in unity as the body of Christ. May we move forward in unity as we try to take this light into Perrigan, into Morgan County and the surrounding counties and let them know that the body of Christ, a new life Christian in Perrigan, Indiana, is alive, it is flourishing with the truth of your word through people who love other people and want them to be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.